You're listening to the Ann Campaign's Church Politics Podcast, where you can get in-depth political analysis from a biblical worldview. We're not trying to be progressive or conservative. We're trying to be faithful Christians in the public square. This is the kingdom. The kingdom. Yes, it is. Gotta spread the word. But you know, good and camp, you're listening to the Ann Campaign's Church Politics Podcast with Justin Gibney. That's me and the Windy City representative, the baddest brother above the Mason-Dixon line, my play cousin, the right reverend, Christopher Butler. Man, Chris, this is, I'm going to be honest with you, bro. This is one of my favorite times of the year. Uh, because for anybody that doesn't know, and you should know, unless you've been hiding under a rock, it's football season. The college football season gets started this weekend. Uh, my little league team season gets started this weekend. I think we still have a few more preseason games from the NFL, but it is that time of year. And so for anyone that's been on looking for something to watch on television, they're you know, maybe not a huge baseball fan. I know we got some baseball fans out there. Football is on the way. Now, I believe we're both Bears fans. Uh, been catching some of their preseason games. Love Justin Fields, right? Guy from Georgia, went to my favorite team. Problem is, I don't think they're going to protect my man, Justin Fields. I don't think they have the line to protect him, so he's going to be running for his life again this year. Uh, so excited to see him play, not excited to see him get beat up. And any thoughts on, on football season coming up, Chris? Well, I mean, I am, uh, I'm with you on the, on the Bears, Rob. I, I think that uh, – I think we have an improved – line from last year so you know even if ever so slightly i think we got to improve line so hope floats man if if that (laughs) if that gets you through the day brother i a all power to you bro i'm not gonna take i'm not gonna steal your joy today i don't see it but perhaps perhaps my eyes are lying to me you know what i mean so i hope you're right though let's establish that i hope you're right sounds a little sounds like wishful thinking but hey only time will tell man only time will tell. Well, y'all know what it is. As always, I want to give a shout out to our sponsor, the Fetzer Institute, for supporting us in what we do and how we do it. We appreciate that uh, partnership. And we have some interesting things to talk about today. I think you're going to enjoy this episode. So as always, grab your Bible, get your mind right and prepare to think not like a Republican, not like a Democrat, but to think like a Christian. Chris, I think I mentioned it a couple weeks ago that I've been reading through Proverbs and it's been eye opening, almost like I'm reading it for the first time because there's so many things that I had to be reminded of. So many errors that I make from day to day that are corrected through those scriptures. And we know that Proverbs are general principles that edify us through with wisdom and skill for living. Right. So important. So if you haven't been through Proverbs in a while, you're trying to decide, you know, what book to go into next, I would advise you to check it out, especially with some of the stuff that we talk about here. And as I've been going through Proverbs, there's a few passages, well, more than a few passages that I thought applied to today's first topic, but I'll just touch on a few of them, starting with uh, Proverbs 1-7, which says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Don't forget that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Then you have Proverbs 15, 32. 
Those who disregard discipline despise themselves, but the one who heeds correction gains understanding. Then lastly, we can also go to Proverbs 18.2, which says, Fools find no pleasure in understanding, but delight in airing their own opinions. Now, just so you know, the word fool here is describing someone who is insolent. Um, it's, it describes someone who is lacking in sound judgment. It's connected to the idea of denial in the Bible. The fool is the opposite of the wise. The fool doesn't want to hear what anyone else has to say unless they're confirming what they already believe. The fool, as we heard, does not like to be corrected. They just want to talk their talk and air out their own point of view, regardless of what anything else, how anything else bears on the conversation. Now, let's be honest, though. We all have unfounded, some unfounded opinions. There are always things that we think are right or at least hope are right. You know, things that make sense to us or things that validate or co-sign our ideological perspective, but simply aren't supported by the facts, aren't supported by sound logic or supported by reality. Now, since we all find ourselves in this place from time to time, everyone listening to this, including me and Chris, find ourselves with some unfounded opinions. The question that we really has to have to ask from there is, what do we do when we're corrected? What do we do when we're confronted with better information or a more thoughtful or insightful perspective? Chris, how do we respond when someone says, hey, bruh, I know you're invested in a certain belief, but you're wrong. And here's a better way. Well, I can tell you if we are overly ideological, then we stand our ground at all costs. If you're saying that I'm wrong on this, then you must be deceitful. You must be malicious. You must be acting in bad faith for some reason, because I know my ideology would never fail me. I'm fully persuaded that these conservative or progressive tenets lead to human flourishing, that they lead to salvation. Also, if we're prideful, then we'll simply never admit that we get anything wrong, even if it continues to hurt us. And that's an interesting thing, Chris. Have you ever noticed somebody doing things or a group of people doing something that continues to hurt them, but they just won't admit it? Or continues to hurt the people around them, but they won't admit it, even when it hurts children. And unfortunately, that's kind of the general response for many in the public square today. We have so much faith in our ideology. And that's what it is, faith. We have such a deep, immovable faith in our ideology that even when it produces bad results, even when it produces bad fruit, even when it produces no fruit. Even when we're presented with information to the contrary, our opinions remain the same in too many instances. We refuse to change. So I've noticed that dynamic. And, and here's a story, Chris, uh, that I read in Time magazine about the decision to change or not to change. The decision to change your uh, 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 opinion 
and the consequences that come along with it. So in this Times Magazine article, they uh, talk about this uh, teacher in Oakland, California named Kareem Weaver. Uh, And what he did was help struggling kids learn to read by using a very structured phonics based uh, reading curriculum called Open Court. Now, it worked for the students. It worked for the students very well, but not so much for the teachers. For seven years in a row, Oakland was the fastest gaining urban district in California for reading. And yet the teachers hated the curriculum. The teacher said that they felt like curriculum robots. And so they pushed back. They thought the curriculum and listen to this this is the interesting part. They thought the curriculum seemed dehumanizing, colonizing, and that it was really just a man telling them what to do. So he says that they fought this curriculum tooth and nail and finally got it out. They, they won. They ended up being being able to replace this curriculum in in 2015 with a curriculum that emphasized rich literary experiences. Those who he says, those who wanted to fight social justice thought that they had figured out this new progressive way of teaching reading. Because teaching phonics was boring and repetitive. Now, as time went on. Kareem came to believe that this decision was an unmitigated disaster. Those are his words. You see, in Oakland, only about 19 percent of black kids are reading at their age level. In 19, in, I'm sorry, in, in 2019, even before the pandemic upended all this teaching in schools and all this instruction, only 35 percent of fourth graders nationally met the standards for reading proficiency set by the National Assessment of Educational Progress. An even lower number in 2017, only 21% of low-income students, 18% of Black students, 23% of Hispanic students can be considered on track for reading by fourth grade. Then uh, they introduced a bill that so they, they they finally came to the realization. Let me let me put it this way. They finally came to the realization that, yeah, we need phonics. But instead of saying, no, the curriculum has to have phonics in it. They introduced uh, the idea of balanced literacy, um, which encouraged teachers to use phonics, encouraged them, but still allowed them to pursue other methods. So what happened was teachers were still using methods that weren't supported by the data. They were supported by theories. They were supported by observations. They were supported by hopes and certain people's ideologies. And they were supported by a few guru-like figures, says the time, says Time magazine. But they weren't supported by the data. And the reading scores did not go up. Surprise, surprise. And then we come to January 2021. And thankfully, a local branch of the NAACP in Oakland filed an administrative position petition, excuse me, with the Oakland Unified School District asking to include explicit instruction for phonemic awareness, phonics, fluency, vocabulary and comprehension in the curriculum. Shout out to the NAACP in uh, Oakland, California. 
because this petition is really part of an enormous rethink of reading instruction that is sweeping the U.S. Chris, so far uh, this year, five states have passed laws that require training for teachers in phonics based reading techniques, adding to the 13 that passed such laws last year. And in May, New York City Mayor uh, Eric Adams announced that elementary schools in the biggest district in the country would be required to adopt phonics based reading programs. There's two ways we can get at this, right? We, we have proverbs. We have our willingness to kind of change ideas because you have somebody. I want to give a shout out to Kareem Weaver, who's the teacher that they were talking about in this article. Because he cared enough and he was honest enough to say that he was wrong. So he was honest enough based on the data to rethink his opinion. And he changed his mind. Unfortunately, not everybody was willing to do that. So on one end, Chris, we have the idea of changing our opinions based on the data, based on the reality. And then we have the other issue of teachers teaching things that they want to teach even though it's not supported by the data. So you had the, the the general principle of change, rethinking our opinions, and then the practical side of how we have failed our kids by trying new things that are unproven. And we, and we can experiment, but with stuff like this, it's very dangerous. So, so Chris, what are your thoughts just on this whole idea, rethinking our opinions, but also this phonics debate? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting that things are turning back toward phonics. I think interesting and good uh, because, I mean, phonemic approaches to uh, learning to read, I mean, that has helped generations and generations of people learn to read uh, English and, and achieve literacy. They, they actually talk about it a lot. Well, at least some in the article, uh, the idea of reading and literacy uh, it, it's not natural. It's it's not like talking and walking, where if you're just around people who do it, you can get it. People actually have to be taught to read. Um, there is a crisis of illiteracy um, that I think uh, is is very under the surface. Uh, and a lot of my time uh, working on education issues, I remember we were working to open a charter school uh, in a particular community on the south side of Chicago, and we were having a lot of difficulty. Um, getting people to uh, to apply for the school. And we had a fair uh, out in the community where we offered to help people uh, complete the application. And all these families showed up. And what became apparent was that many of these families were struggling to actually read the application and complete it. And that was what was keeping them away from uh, accessing this, this better school option for their kids, not not the fact that they didn't have a desire to do so. Uh, so literacy is a huge deal. Um, it's a it's a major uh, crisis, and it, it's unfortunate um, that a lot of school districts have allowed uh, for several years now for the 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 approach to go away from phonics, mostly based on this idea. Not that there was a better way to teach reading than phonics. Not that phonics wasn't working to teach people how to read. Uh, but based on the idea that somehow uh, phonics was was whiteness, that phonics was cultural, uh, you know, sort of, I don't know, 
brainwash or something. I, I, I don't know. I mean, and, and I'm, I'm the first guy to talk about um, bias and uh, assessments and, and things like that. But this, this thing of phonics was kind of strange to me. Uh, and so I'm glad to see that a lot of districts are moving back toward it. Um, it it's one of those things when I was uh, reading the article and thinking, thinking about this, it reminded me of, uh, of an old uh, a Chinese parable. Uh, that talks about the emperor asking the greatest painter in all the land, what is easy to paint and what is difficult to paint? Uh, and, and the painter responds very quickly. He says, dogs are very hard to paint and demons are very easy to paint because most people have never seen a demon, but everybody knows exactly what a dog looks like. Uh, and, and that's what it is with this, uh, this phonics thing. I think that's why people are moving back toward it is because, you know, uh, kind of teaching social theory is like painting a demon, right? You can kind of paint it however you want to do it. And as long as it kind of has a, a kind of vibe, people can't say that you're doing it wrong. But teaching reading is not that way. Uh, you can tell, you know, at, when the kid gets to fourth grade, you know if they can read or if they can't. Uh, and this move away from phonics, I think, has, has just not been that successful. Uh, so, you know, I, I think that it's it's good to move back toward it, toward phonics, um, you know, because that's, that's kind of like the thing that has been working. I, I would also feel remiss if I didn't say that I think over the whole uh, sort of large scheme of things, it's a great opportunity to discuss what we really are supposed to be getting out of our education system. Like, what does it exist to do? Um, I think a lot of the conversations that have happened uh, in the last couple of years could be helped by a conversation around what our school system is actually supposed to do. If the purpose of the institution is to teach children how to decipher language and how to do calculations and make orderly observations and, and then to reason logically, then the entire thing is kind of a dismal failure. You, you, in, in, in the best of situations uh, in, in America, like if you're like a, you know, a middle class white school district, you're doing great to see 50 or 60 percent of students on, on level and on track, which is not great. Right. Like if, if you get a 50 or 60 percent grade, you're failing. Um, and so we need a, a huge rethink of what we're doing in our school system. I, I think that on the whole, we're spending a whole lot more time trying to shape children's souls and their sexuality and their political ideology and a lot of other dynamics um, that we really don't have time for in schools because schools really haven't figured out how to do the basics of teaching young people how to decipher languages, do calculations, make observations, and reason logically. Um, and if, if we're not going to do that in schools, then we need to be, you know, thinking about, you know, this institution at a much larger level, in, in my view. Can, can you speak into the changing of opinions again? Because we saw Kareem Weaver who said, man, this did not work. Let me let me let me reassess where I'm at because I care about these kids. Right. Yeah. Like the kids should matter more than the ideology. Are you proving something within the culture war or whatever? Can, can you speak a little bit to that, Chris? Yeah, I mean, I, I think we really have to be able to do that with uh, with education. I, mean, I think we should be able to do that in, in every arena. But it's so important to be able to do that in education um, and not hold 
so fast to your idea or your experiment because uh, when it comes to education, I always uh, say you only get third grade once, or hopefully, I guess you could get it twice. Um, but you, you really, you only get to be eight for one year, right? And so every year that we spend doing the wrong thing uh, with students is a year that that child can never, ever get back. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we certainly don't have time for adults to be clinging to their ideas uh, when when the evidence is very clear. Uh, you know, it's it's like I said with the with the Chinese proverb. You can look at that painting and be like, "That dog don't look right." Yeah, and yeah. We need to do something else. And who comes up with these ideas? Like, phonics is whiteness. I'd like to. I, I just like to like trace back who comes up with these ideas. I mean, next is going to be literacy is whiteness. You know, like what? Who who raised y'all? Yeah, I mean, and what, I, I've I've seen it, man. Like you know, being on time. Uh, is whiteness, you know, punctuality is right. It, and it, it, it just comes from that thing of, I don't know, like looking for racism around every corner. Um, and I try not to come down too hard on people who look for racism around every corner because racism is around a lot of corners. Mm-hmm. Um, but you have to be ever so careful with that because you can begin to actually disadvantage the very people you're trying to help, which is exactly uh, certainly what has happened. Uh, in my view, in public education, um, is that a lot of this stuff has further disadvantaged um, the very people we're, we're trying to help because the ones who are getting this um, ineffective reading instruction are poor kids, black and brown kids mm-hmm. who can ill afford to to spend time doing stuff that doesn't work to advance their education. Right. The, the idea that phonics is whiteness ended up hurting black kids, ended up hurting Hispanic kids, ended up hurting poor kids of all kind, you know, of all, and not just them. It, it's hurt. It's hurt other people too, but that's how silly, you know, this gets. And so we need to really pay attention to it because on the, this podcast, we do talk about racism. We do think racism is real. We, we don't think it's a uh, realistic or helpful to, to act like we should be colorblind, right? We talk about that quite a bit. We're not shy to getting into that. But what makes me mad about these type of accusations and, and when people approach it this way is that you actually hurt the real case for when racism really does rear its ugly head. Because you're using, you're using, I mean, this is, this is social capital. There's a lot goes in and it's credibility that you're wasting on really silly conversations. I mean, let's, let's think about it. Um, They're saying that it's dehumanized, that phonics was dehumanizing, that it was, colonizing that it was the man telling you what to do what are you talking about phonics were dehumanizing and colonizing so structure a uniform curriculum standards are dehumanizing and colonizing fighting for justice included fighting against phonics phonics and fighting against repetition and fighting against boring reading lessons is that we need to look look at our definitions of social justice and things of that nature. Let me tell you this. This is what I would say. If you want to fight for social justice, teaching a child how to read is a really good start. Right. That, that's a really good place to start. And if your idea of social justice includes methods that make it harder for kids to read. Or make it harder for kids to learn in general. Then your ideology is wrong. 
your ideology is at least getting it wrong on this point, And your ideology is counterproductive on this particular issue. And this is one of my criticisms of kind of, of progressivism is that just like they say, they thought they found a new progressive way to teach reading, even though the other one was working, even though they were rising, the kids were doing well. They had to find a new progressive way of teaching. And again, this is one of the flaws of progressivism. It, it assumes that the new way to do something is always better or that things like this always need to be improved by completely um, wiping out the foundation and doing something completely different. And it's just not helpful to the kids. How many kids are going to live very different lives because of this failed experiment? And we know education, there's going to be some trial and error. We get that. But you got to be more careful. Chris, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you hit on something that's so important, and I think it's uh, it, it's it's really I – I could go on and on about how it impacts education, but we say all the time, if you are progressive all the time uh, or conservative all the time, you're going to mess things up because you, you can't just have one flow um, it, because progressivism really is useful for breaking down structures and, and, and institutions and, and when structures need to change progressivism uh, is so, so helpful. But it's not always good to break stuff down. Sometimes stuff exists and it is uh, good and it should be uh, maybe renewed, but not torn down. But progressivism doesn't necessarily have the, the lexicon, the, the toolbox uh, if you will, to get that done. And the same thing with conservatism, right? Like there are there are things that conservatism can do. Conservatism uh, has the tools uh, and the uh, lexicon and all that stuff for uh, renewal and, um, you know, uh, passing uh, institutions and good things forward. But then there are things that need to be changed um, and, and even brought down. And, and maybe the, the tools and the lexicon are not there with your conservatism. That's why it's so important uh, to just try to be faithful, right? Let's try to serve these kids. Let's not try to be progressive or conservative. Let's just try to serve the kids. And sometimes we reach into the conservative toolbox uh, to get that done. Sometimes we reach into a progressive toolbox to get that done. Whatever we have to do to be faithful, let's do that. Um, because if you if you go all in on on some ideological approach, there's going to come a time where you're going to mess some stuff up because you need that other tool set. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, not everything old is bad. Not everything new is bad. Right. We've got to be able to look at the data, look at the facts, look at reality and judge it from there. And if we're unable to do that or unwilling to do that, then we may fall into what Proverbs called a fool. I hope that's not the case. We'll be right back on the Church Politics Podcast. And we are back on the Church Politics Podcast. It is Justin Gibney and the right reverend Christopher Butler. Chris, I saw an interesting and actually disappointing kind of kind of saddening uh, poll that came out not too long ago. According to a new uh, NBC News Generation Lab poll, almost half of second year college students say they wouldn't choose to be roommates with someone who supported a different presidential candidate than they did in 2020. 
A majority say they wouldn't go on to date with some go on a date with someone who voted differently. And nearly two thirds of them say they couldn't see themselves marrying someone who backed a different presidential candidate again in 2020. Now, here's where it gets even more interesting. Democratic respondents are much more opposed to rooming with someone who voted differently in 2020, meaning someone who voted for Trump. Uh, 62% of them say they would probably not or definitely not room with such a person. And on the Republican side, it was about 28% of respondents said they wouldn't room with someone that voted differently than they did in 2020. Wow. Here's a question that we might want to think about in regard to the responses here, especially for Christians. Obviously, everybody that was interviewed for this or everybody that took this poll was not a Christian. But for the ones that were and for the folks who are listening, here's something to think about. How do we evangelize if we only talk to people who agree with us politically? If we'll only build relationships with people who agree with us politically, who fit into our ideological tribe. Do we really love our neighbor? If we don't want to be around them because of who they voted for. Now, Chris, I know and you know that who we vote for is consequential. It may say something about us. It's not some, it's not some trivial thing, right? We're not we're not trying to say that it never matters who you voted for and that there can be some conclusions that are drawn from that. But is the conclusion that I don't want to be around you? That I shouldn't be around you, that you're not worth building a relationship with, which to me, Chris, and I could be wrong. To me, that sounds like contempt. To me, that sounds like disdain. To me, that sounds like based on who you voted for, your value to me has been diminished. When it could be looked at and maybe better, it would be better to look at it as an opportunity. An opportunity to engage someone who have, may, may have different ideas. Chris, what are your thoughts on these statistics? And do you think there's a difference between who you would room with and who you might go on a date with and marry? Or should we look at all those things the same? Yeah, I think so. When I look at this, I see uh, one positive uh, in this uh, in this article and then. One thing that's, that is, is challenging us as a society, uh, because the, the first thing is that you do have um, the fact that this is part of this is just, is just that college students are voting um, and college age people are voting at a much higher rate uh, than they used to. The, the, the 2020 election, I know uh, I tried to find 2022. I couldn't find it. But 2020. Um, I think it was like 66% of college students participated in the election. Um, and that's just a massive, massive percentage of, of voting participation. And so in previous generations, people in that age group weren't necessarily participating in, um, in politics and elections. And so it probably wouldn't, you know, weigh that much on their decision about who to room with and, who to marry and that kind of thing, because, you know, they weren't at all engaged civically. Um, and so the fact that young people are getting involved in civics, uh, I think is very exciting uh, and very promising. I think that 
what what you have here is a task for um, for colleges, which I, I pray that colleges are up to the task and parents um, are up to the task of actually saying to young people what you just said, right? Um, because who you vote for uh, is consequential. It probably does tell me something about uh, about you in terms of you know how you think, kind of what you're into, but it doesn't actually tell me everything. And it doesn't tell me as much as I might think it tells me. Um, and I think young people need to be instructed in this. I know that this, this way of speaking is sort of out of fashion right now, that young people need to be instructed. Um, but I do think that young people need to be instructed and advised um, and should just be encouraged that, somebody who voted different from you is probably going to be different from you in some ways, probably in some meaningful ways, but that does not mean that you shouldn't, uh, you know, room with them. Uh, I'll, you know, put it in the context of a, a young person who uh, is in my church who is going off for first year of college. And uh, she's, she's very, you know, introverted and did not want to have a roommate. I encouraged uh, her family to really just encourage her to try this, right? So uh, college is not even like a college is not a whole year. Like that one term is not a whole calendar year. And you can do practically anything for eight months, right? Like even if you go into this and actually find that it was a horrible experience to have somebody else like that much in your space, uh, you'll have the experience you'll certainly learn some things. You'll certainly grow from it. And you should probably just challenge yourself to do it. And this is what I would be saying to a young person who was telling me that they didn't want to run with somebody who voted uh, for a different candidate than they voted for in the presidential election. I get it. There is probably going to be some difference between a person who cast a ballot for Joe Biden and a person who cast a ballot for Donald Trump. Um, but is not going to be as horrible as you think it is. Uh, it is going to challenge you in some ways that are going to be good for you. Uh, you're probably going to learn some things. And if it turns out to actually just be a really horrible experience, it's, it's like eight to 10 months and it's not going to. Do you me. blame them for not wanting to marry someone? Again, no like I think, I think when you talk, when you're talking about like somebody going to their first or second year of college, um, they there should be conversations happening about how to choose somebody to marry. I think that probably if you talk to people uh, who are going into their first and second year of college, I mean, think about ourselves going into first and second year of college. Um, they're probably not 100% ready to choose a spouse, right? And probably are letting many things factor into that decision that probably shouldn't weigh so heavily into that decision. Uh, so what, what I would do, I, I think that this is an opportunity for us to get a hold of something that is, that is happening all over our society where people are sort of separating from one another based on who they voted for. With, with our young people, with college students, I think we could be encouraging them to be curious, right? Not telling them that is not going to be a difference, not telling them that it's going to be wonderful because there, there are a lot of ways uh, that I could see a date between a Trump voter and a Biden voter going left, rooming with a Trump voter and a Biden voter uh, going left. Like that could indeed happen. 
Um, but hey, you're young. This is college. Let's be curious. Let's be open. You are probably going to be challenged and grow from this. Um, even if you don't end up like marrying somebody, right? Like you shouldn't, you should put that kind of like, uh, boundaries on who you're going to marry, right? Like when, when, when I was younger, you know, I really loved the city of Chicago. I said that I would never marry somebody who's not from Chicago because then she's going to want me to leave Chicago and I'm never leaving Chicago, right? Uh, fast forward 20 years, you know, I'm like, hey, you know, if we needed to leave Chicago, you know, it might be a thing. Uh, no, I'm not, I'm not leaving Chicago. But those types of thought processes are happening uh, in the minds of people who are like 19 and 20 years old because they're 19 and 20. And I think that is a great opportunity for us as a society. I mean, I get to pastor a church. There are like six kids who are in that college age. Um, but all of us, right? Like as we're living our lives, you're in a church, you're in a family, you got a nephew, a niece, a cousin, somebody. Um, I think we should engage this conversation because I think that it's, it's a place where we can help. Um, this not to get so deeply rooted because I think that it's, it's, it's a, it's a thing that we're seeing with, with everybody, people are 40 and 50 and 60 yeah. years old. And I think uh, the other thing about it too, is it almost seems to be connected to a fear, yeah. right? If they're this kind of person, I've never experienced this kind of person before. Do they bite? Uh, right. Are they, are they going to harm me? Are they all white supremacists? Are they all, you know, um, you know, doing a bunch of crazy stuff? It's it's a little bit of a fear, but but again, I, I think you have to. A lot of this to me, Chris, sounds like condemnation. It sounds like judgment based on not really knowing somebody's character, but just one thing that you've heard about them without knowing their story, without knowing their testimony, without knowing what drives them. And I can say this: guys, I played on you know uh, football with in college, people who I had in my dorm who were you know in the same uh, Von Three, shout out to Von Three, in the same dorm as me. I learned a lot from people who even I would say might have had some racial hangups, right? Who I would say, man, you got a lot to learn on race. But guess what? There's some things that they taught me on other subjects. So understand and be willing and be looking for opportunities to learn from people who are different than you. Now, one thing we know about college from better or better or worse, we talked about it a couple of weeks ago, that most people end up being a little more progressive after they leave. I don't know that that's a good thing. So you never know. Y'all might end up being more of the same. We we on this show would recommend a, a lot more ideological diversity within within universities. The point that I'm making is in, in just just know that things change. Just know that you need to grow. Other people need to grow and have those conversations in a real way. Be willing to build relationships, because one thing that's more important than who somebody voted for is having a brother or sister in Christ. And that's something we should all keep in mind. We'll be right back on the Church Politics Podcast. Are you too progressive for conservatives and too conservative for progressives? As a Christian, do you find yourself feeling politically homeless? If so, then you're not alone. Listen, this is Justin Gibney, president of the AND campaign. And if you're a Christian who doesn't know a whole lot about politics or someone who knows a good deal about politics but wants to be more faithful in the public square, then you have to read the AND campaign's book, Compassion and Conviction. 
the Ann Campaign's Guide to Faithful Civic Engagement that we publish with InterVarsity Press. Whether you just want to understand the relationship between church and state, why Christians should engage politics at all, how Christians should engage partisanship, politics and race, advocacy and protest, or even civility, this is the book for you. It's very much Bible-centered. It's Bible study and small group friendly. There are questions and exercises after every chapter that give you a framework for engaging politics in a biblical way. So if you want to do it in a better way, get our book, Compassion and Conviction, The End Campaign's Guide to Faithful Civic Engagement. And we are back on the Church Politics Podcast. So much to talk about. So much has been going on. Uh, something else that I looked at, Chris, was a report that I think came from CNN. And, and this is what it said. It says that Democrats' chances of holding the Senate didn't look so great in 2020, in 20, in early part of 2022, right? But they weren't, but they aren't now as in bad a shape as they may have been before. Right. So for Democrats, the House is still looking like they're going to lose it. Uh, But the Senate, they might actually keep the Senate today. An average uh, of different forecasts and political betting indicate that Democrats are slightly favored to hold Congress's upper chamber, the Senate. The change in the Senate fortunes comes as the party continues to poll far better than expected in a number of states, while several Republican candidates struggle to connect with voters. And this is when you know it's bad. When the leader of Senate Republicans says something like this, he says, I think there's probably a greater likelihood that the House flips than the Senate. This is what uh, uh, McConnell, Senator McConnell, said to uh, a, at a Northern Kentucky Chamber of Commerce luncheon in Florence, Kentucky. He said, Senate races are just different. They're state They're statewide. And then he added, candidate quality has a lot to do with the outcome. So you have this situation, Chris, where you got a very unpopular president in the Democratic Party. Conventional wisdom tells you the Democrats are going to get they're going to get massacred in the House and in the Senate. Still looks like they may lose the House, but the Senate, it looks like the Democrats may keep the Senate. And this is why there. I think McConnell's absolutely right. I think he's trying to push some of the blame off himself, but I think he's right. And and rarely do I agree with with McConnell. He's not my favorite guy. But the Republicans, Chris, have some of the worst senatorial candidates that I think that I've ever seen. Now, y'all know I've had things to say about Warnock. We we, we, uh, challenge everybody that needs to be challenged. But I have to say that Herschel Walker is one of the worst candidates running for anything that I have seen. Chris, there's there's a lack of preparedness. I just don't think he's a talented campaigner or politician. And then if you listen to the staff members that left, it sounds like he doesn't like instruction, which goes back to our first conversation that we've had, you know, that we had earlier today. This is somebody who came into a situation where he really, based on, Name recognition based on what was going on in the in the state. You look at Kemp, who's running for governor at the same time as winning. Herschel Walker has done everything possible, it seems like, 
to lose this race. Then we can go up to Pennsylvania. You have Dr. Oz. I don't know if you guys have seen some of his campaign ads, some of what he's been doing. He's done everything in his power to prove he's not a Pennsylvanian, to prove he doesn't connect with the people like Fetterman, who he's running against, does. Now, Fetterman just had a stroke. This guy is still having trouble speaking, yet Dr. Oz, who is the Republican, is just getting completely massacred up there. Now, one thing that these two have in common, and these aren't the only two, but one thing that these two have in common is Trump. They're Trump's guys. And as I said to a friend earlier today, I said, I said, Republicans are trying to give away the opportunity to control the Senate because of these candidates that their base, the Trump supporting base, decided to put into the general election. Any thoughts on this, Chris? If, if I were a Republican partisan, I would be really upset uh, with the whole debacle. I mean, it's it's always like a, a, a pox on both the houses when it comes to Trump and uh, McConnell for the candidates that they have fielded. I mean, Pennsylvania and Georgia should have been layups for Republicans. And you literally, like you said, went and got some of the very worst candidates possible. I mean, I did not think that you could field a candidate bad enough to lose in Georgia. But I think you 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 might have seen it uh, happen. Like these these guys have really snatched defeat from the jaws of victory big time. Um, you know, I, I I got to be in a in a room uh, a few months ago with, uh, with with Blake Masters, the the Republican candidate out in Arizona, and I was I was very excited to go into the room. But by the time I left the room, I was like. Yo, like this guy's a little <laughs> far afield. I mean, and I and I'm I'm not like your um like I'm I have some as I would probably say, like I have some very conservative tendencies. And it was just like this is okay. I mean, I guess. And so it, it just it seems like the um the Trump endorsement and the commitment to to like stop this steal became the most important thing in the primary. And so you, you got a class of candidates through the the election who were through the primaries who were on that Trump line in terms of you know just going all in on stop the steal, but actually don't have any of Donald Trump's uh, sort of political acumen. Right. Like mm-hmm. Donald Trump's great with the crowd, you know, a, a, a great campaigner. I mean, he can one line his opponents to death. Uh, you know, it's he he's a good politician. And if you have all these like crazy ideas and you're a really good candidate, maybe you can get it done. But you, you pair crazy ideas with just horrible candidates and, and you have a problem. And the Senate Republicans have a problem. I mean, it's a long time before the election, but I don't see how you take uh, Dr. Oz and turn him into Pennsylvania. I don't know if I mentioned it on this um, on the podcast, but when I had my consulting firm, we had offices in Chicago and in Philadelphia. And I just don't know how you take um, Dr. Oz and make him Pennsylvania um, mm. at this point. 
right? Uh, especially when he's campaigning against Fetterman. It's, it's really something to see how they have, like I said, snatched defeat from the jaws of victory. Yeah. And, and as always, we're, we're not telling you who to vote for. Do your own research. Look into the candidates. Things can change because even the folks that we mentioned where one candidate was bad, I think in both those races, the other candidate is severely flawed as well. Right. So you still have to look at those. But we're just repeating what McConnell said. Right. An observation that he made, because if you look even in Georgia, there were some very good Republican candidates in the primary. That I think would have made, you know, very hard. I think it would have made a lot of people think twice that those kind of centered or independent voters would have made a lot of people really think twice on, OK, maybe I have to do something different. But the Republican base didn't even give them consideration. I mean, it was over from the beginning. My man didn't really even have to do didn't have to do any debates. None of that. It was just over. Simply because it seemed to me that that's who Trump went with. And I'm one of those guys and people get mad at me for this, but I'm just going to be honest. I want two good candidates. I want two really good candidates uh, on both sides so I can decide which one I will vote for. I don't have a problem voting for a Republican if the Republicans the best. I don't have a problem voting for a Democrat if the Democrats the best person. Um, and so it's always. You know, unfortunate when you don't get the best candidates on both sides. Now, again, many things can happen. Things will come out. Policies will come out. Things can change. This isn't about who you should vote for. It's about the quality of of candidate that has been put up by one party just based on preparedness. Right. Just just based on not saying things that are completely unfounded, that 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 make you seem like you are unfit for the office. Um, and, and, and again, it's just unfortunate. I want both parties to pull it, to pull it together and put up the best candidates possible so that we can get the best people in office. Um, and it's looking like in some places that just isn't going to be the case. But go ahead and close this out, Chris. Yeah, I, I want to be very clear that I am certainly not you know, trying to tell folks who to vote for. I'm not signing with one party or the other. I'm, I'm not even uh, trying to be hypercritical of uh, these individual candidates so much. I'm, I'm very critical, though, of the process, this this. Um, this, this idea that the Republican primary in so many places really came down to do you, will you back the whole stop the still kind of movement? And that was the only qualification. Mm-hmm. Um, like you didn't have to necessarily prove yourself to be like a longstanding conservative. You didn't have to put out um, a whole lot of, uh, you know, policy bona fides. You didn't have to do anything except for, you know, be loyal to Donald Trump and you win the primary. And that's how you end up with uh, really horrible candidates um, when you have that one criteria. Uh, and so that's that's the thing that I'm criticizing here is the is that process. I think that it was it was silly. And it was like you said, as um, to all of our detriment, because I think uh, the country is better when you have two candidates who can really prosecute the case on both sides, like make the argument for why um, your sort of uh, uh, ideological approach to the problems that we are currently facing is the best approach. And we we don't have that in so many states. Um, and it's unfortunate. Yeah, it just seems like brain dead politics. And if I'm going to represent 
the other side of the conversation. Someone might say, well, the Democrats set up the same type of litmus test with abortion. And therefore, you get candidates that could have been better, could have done better. But since they don't bow to that sacred calf, they don't get to move forward. Right. And I think that's something that we we really have to address and deal with as well. So somebody's vote may be purely based on that. We've talked about that. We've had that conversation. Uh, this is not that this only happens in the Republican Party, but it sure did happen this time. And, and I think uh, Republicans hurt themselves by going about it in this way. Stop the steal was not something that was popular outside of the base. And when you select candidates based on that criteria, you're going to hurt yourselves. And we see that happening now. Yeah. What, and I, 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 I want to go ahead and, 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 you know, since I did call out Blake Masters by name, uh, you know, at least in Arizona, you have a candidate who is a strong communicator and, and has a fairly consistent, you know, kind of an ideology, uh, even if in some places, you know, I think it just goes way too far afield, like for the state. Right. But, um, you know, this, this is the, the, uh, the election that we have. Like you said, the, the Democrats, in my opinion, did not like field the most amazing candidates. Um, it's just that the Republicans managed to, I think, do worse. Yeah, there's like a minimum level of competence in some of these that just just wasn't reached uh, on one side. So, hey, guys, you you make your decision. You take this commentary or leave it. But, hey, we didn't say it. McConnell said it. So we love y'all, man. We really appreciate y'all listening to us every week, tuning in, uh, supporting us and letting the people at your church in your uh, a young adult group in your Bible study know what we're trying to accomplish, what we're trying to do. Don't be the person who doesn't want to hear correction. We want to hear correction. We want to hear feedback. So you can always hit us up with feedback by joining our Patreon, which is patreon.com slash church politics. Let us know how you feel. If we got something wrong here, then you let us know. We'll consider it and we may even talk about it uh, on the show. So as always, uh, we appreciate y'all. Join the movement. Don't just sit on the sidelines. You can give a little, you can give a lot, or you can just spread the word. All is appreciated. And Camp, there's a cross that neither political conservatism nor progressivism is fit to bear. There's a civic hearing in need of faithful witnesses who love social justice and won't surrender the truth to be loved by the world. Politic with the boldness and compassion of Jesus Christ. Until next time, Ankin. This episode was brought to you in part by Just These Guys, you know? A pastor and a psychologist team up to break down scripture and psychology, empowering you to transform by the renewing of your mind. Listen today at justtheseguys.podbean.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Just These Guys, you know?